Hello, and welcome to the podcast that helps you win the race Christ has marked out for you. The horrific murder of George Floyd and the lawless property theft and destruction taking place across America have put our focus on American cities, the plight of the urban poor, and especially black urban poor. This focus has rightly challenged Christians to consider how better to confront racism in our own lives and American institutions. As Father's Day approaches, I want to also suggest that as we consider the plight of the black urban poor in America, we recognize the epidemic of fatherlessness taking place in our cities and the black community. Its impact is enormous. But father absence is not just an urban or black problem. 50% of children in America grow up with fathers who are physically absent, 34%, or emotionally uninvolved or harmfully involved through abuse, 17%. Today's episode looks at the way God has designed children to need a father, the damage caused by that absence, what a child needs from his or her father, and what we can do to help boys and girls in our midst who don't have dads in their lives. Thanks for joining us today for season number one, episode number 32 of Mission Focused Men. My name is Gary Yeagle. God has designed human beings to need a father. That seems pretty obvious, but this truth is easily lost when loud voices in our culture proclaim that gender differences don't matter. So let's examine the case for the significance of fatherhood. First, God himself is called God the Father. Names matter in Scripture. God did not call himself God the Mother. Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, repeatedly referred to himself as the Son, and in prayer called the first person of the Trinity Father, teaching his disciples to do the same. When Jesus gave his marching orders to his church, he commanded, Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. There is something about the very nature of God that is described by the word father. Number two, Adam and Eve were created as God's image bearers for an intimate love relationship with him, pictured by walking together in the garden in the cool of the day in Genesis 3.8. This relationship was severed by sin. Jesus, the second Adam, comes to restore his people to this original relationship we were created to enjoy. And what Jesus pictures in historic humanity, is the second Adam relating to God as his heavenly Father. This paradigm for our restored personal relationship with God as humans is picked up by Paul in Romans 8, when he writes, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It is true that Paul uses sons here instead of children, probably because he has in mind our inheritance, which in Judaism came through the Father. Nevertheless, all believers, not just males, have the privilege of calling the God of the universe Abba, Father. Abba, which could be translated dad or daddy, is a tender term that represents the intimacy, closeness, 
and dependence that a child feels towards his father. Paul does not say that we can now call God mama. Third, the environment that God chose for growing a child to physical, emotional, and spiritual health is a family where the child is loved by both a father and a mother. Creation itself tells us that the nuclear family is not just a social construct. The biological fact that conception takes place in the context of husband and wife making love speaks volumes about the best environment for that child to be nurtured to healthy adulthood. In God's obvious creation design for a child to fully thrive, he needs a family built on mom and dad's love for each other. Fourth, the family code section of Ephesians and Colossians are significant. They address wives, then husbands, then children, commanding them to obey their parents. So we might expect the next group Paul addresses to be parents, but it is not. Well, how about mothers? Nope. Elsewhere, Paul does command older women to train the younger women to love their children. But it is striking that when Paul addresses household responsibilities, especially the training of the children, God doesn't mention mothers but gives commands to fathers. This pattern of responsibility began with Abraham, the father of the Christian faith. God said of Abraham, I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. This responsibility was not given to Sarah. When it comes to household management and training the children, Paul writes, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We are not told why mothers are not specifically addressed, even though children are commanded to obey both parents. But may I suggest that fathers being given this specific command does make sense, given that one of the primary results of the fall is that men inherit Adam's passivity. Adam failed to step up, defend Eve against Satan's temptation, and lead the way to flourishing by being obedient to God's command not to eat the fruit. He failed in his masculine calling to protect those in the garden and to cause them to flourish. Masculine passivity in training the children makes their discipline of children haphazard, random, and inconsistent. Inconsistent discipline is one of the fastest ways to provoke anger in a child. One moment he gets away with murder. The next time he barely steps across the line and is slammed with punishment. That will provoke hot anger. However, consistent discipline trains a child to know what the boundaries are. It is not a harsh, seat-of-the-pants, reactive discipline that only provokes anger. So in contrast to provoking anger, says Paul to fathers, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Three important words in this phrase describe the biblical approach to rearing children. 
First, dads are not to watch their children grow up passively, but to actively bring them up. This Greek word means literally out of nurture. A father's discipline begins with tender care, the way a nursery worker nurtures along a small tender sapling. The second word in the ESB, it's discipline, is paideia, from which we get pediatric. It means the training of children. A father's authority and discipline are never to be used selfishly or reflexively. Rather, it is to be part of a training plan. The third word, instruction, means literally to put into the mind. Deuteronomy 6 gives a picture of this process. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Certainly moms help teach and instruct the children. Eve is created to be a suitable ally and helper, partner to Adam. But the responsibility for training the children rests on the shoulders of fathers. Fifth, the significance of fatherhood is not only clear in Scripture, special revelation, it is also clear from observing the world around us, general revelation. For example, Ernest Hemingway understood the significance of broken father-son relationships. He wrote a story about a father and his teenage son. In the story, their relationship became strained and the son ran away from home. His father began a journey in search of his rebellious son. Finally, in Madrid, Spain, in a last desperate effort to find him, the father put an ad in the local newspaper. The ad read, Dear Paco, Meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. I love you, your father. The next day at noon, in front of the newspaper office, 800 Pacos showed up. They were all seeking forgiveness, love, and restoration from their fathers. Here are some facts about the effect of father absence on children in American society, observable evidence of the importance of fathers. First, a quote from Barack Obama, children who grow up without fathers are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of school, and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. According to the U.S. Census Bureau data for 2019, the percent of children who live with their mother only is about 45% for black children, 24% for Hispanic children, and 18% for white children. The correlation of crime with father absence is staggering. According to the U.S. Department of Justice report entitled, What Can the Federal Government Do to Decrease Crime and Revitalize Communities?, Children from fatherless homes account for 63% of youth suicides, 90% of all homeless and runaway youths, 85% of all children that exhibit behavior disorders, 71% of all high school dropouts, 
70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions, 75% of adolescent patients in substance abuse centers, 75% of rapists motivated by displaced anger. The impact of fatherlessness on crime and poverty in our cities is staggering. Well, the third observation we can make about the significance of fatherhood comes from the counseling world, where counselors have begun to see how much a person's relationship with his or her father has shaped that person. In the field of men's ministry, for instance, Dr. Pete Alwinson writes, men hunger for a great relationship with their fathers. The lack of that relationship marks their lives and affects all their other relationships. And sadly, many men today are trying to make their way through life without the help, guidance, and love of their father. Too many men are marked by what some have called the father wound, and stronger still, the absent father neurosis. How does it affect a boy when his father is absent, abusive, uninvolved, or just plain uncaring? Here's a sample of what many men have shared with me about the impact a difficult relationship with their dad had on their lives. One guy says, when I became a teenager, it was as if he could no longer relate to me. It seemed that there was a sudden discomfort, like he could not understand me. By ninth grade, I was empty and distant. I couldn't cry. It was that year that I started cutting myself and made plans for suicide. Another man said to Pete, I remember running after my dad when he was pulling out of the driveway, trying to catch him so I could spend time with him. He just kept driving. I knew I was an inconvenience to him. One more guy said to Pete, from the beginning, my quote unquote dad, an uncle who was taking care of my brothers and me, sexually abused all three of us. We would do devotions in the morning and he would abuse us at night. The lack of a positive father figure creates so much damage in children's hearts. So what should that father or father figure be like? Pete Olmanson, in his book, Like Father, Like Son, gives us a great list of those characteristics. Number one, a welcoming father, saying, in essence, I always have time for you. Number two, an approval-giving father, saying, I'm proud of you, and what you did honors Christ. Number three, an identity-building father. My daughter, I can't believe how much God has gifted you for what you're doing right now. Number four, a freedom-giving father. What do you think you should do? I'm confident God will lead you. Number five, an adventuring father. Have you ever thought about the greatness of our mission to follow Christ and how worthy he is of our highest allegiance? Number six, a guiding father. You know, I've been learning a lot in my own life about how my thoughtless words hurt your mom. Number seven, a wisdom giving father. I saw something really exciting the other day that I never saw in the word before. Number eight, a grace-giving father. My son, I suspect my sins are far worse than yours are. So how do we respond to the father absence epidemic going on around us? 
Here's some thoughts. First, we really have to help those we love to understand how destructive a gender-blending worldview is and challenge the assertion that speaking about gender differences, created by God, by the way, makes us sexist. We must exhibit compassion for those who are confused about their gender or have been hurt by unfair stereotypes, but the answer is not to deny the glory of God's gender design of male and female differently to complete each other, a union that is profoundly related to our role as humans to image God. Gender blending is harmful to everyone in our culture. Fathers do not need to be bombarded by messages that make them hesitate to take responsibility to lead their homes. They need encouragement to step up to their special role of father. Second, we must renew our commitment to be godly men who step out with masculine love, especially to cause widows and orphans to be protected and to flourish. This might mean looking for boys in our immediate circle who are being raised by single moms and who have no meaningful relationship with their father. We might prayerfully consider how we could step into such a boy's life as a coach or teacher, uncle, grandfather, youth leader, or neighbor, and meet some of the eight needs we just talked about. I saw that happen often at the church I pastored a few years ago because we had a strong divorce recovery ministry, which drew many single moms with boys. Several men, with the enthusiastic encouragement of the boys' mothers, became surrogate dads and male role models for the boys. Third, we might consider how the wound of father absence can be used to point us and others to the ultimate father who will never disappoint. Many men have shared how the pain and emptiness of having no real relationship with a father drove them into the arms of God the Father. One such man shares his story. He says, Like many men, I've had to grieve a distant, abusive, and uninvolved father. As a young man, I was adrift, trying to figure out what it meant to be a man on my own. Even though I couldn't fix my relationship with my dad, God the Father stepped in. When I became a Christ follower, I found that I was no longer a nameless street boy, abandoned by his preoccupied, demanding, and unhappy father. I was an individually valued son, known and specially loved before the foundation of the world. I am still shocked that I am not an interruption or an inconvenience to my heavenly father. Growing up with a father who always seemed angry with me, why? What did I do? I was stunned to realize that my father in heaven wasn't angry at me. All his anger had already been poured out on Jesus. No longer was I alone in a hard world trying to figure everything out on my own. Now I had a completely available father who wanted to and was determined to develop this rough boy into a man. Grief over the abandonment of my earthly father gave way to joy because of the ultimate father's never-ending attention and love. To summarize this episode, in a culture where loud voices shaping the next generation want to ignore, if not erase, gender differences, 
at risk to our culture is the profound, important concept of fatherhood. When men who conceive children don't step up to meet the needs of their children that only fathers can meet, children are deeply scarred. God has designed children to need a welcoming, approval-giving, identity-building, freedom-giving, challenging, guiding, wisdom-giving, grace-giving father. The devastation of children because of father absence should not surprise us because fatherhood is a profoundly important part of bearing the image of God who self-identifies as God the Father. Salvation itself is described as being restored to such intimacy that we can call God Abba, Father. Fathers, by striving to be godly, have the great privilege of helping their children someday want to unplug their fatherhood cable from them and plug it into their Heavenly Father. Though fatherlessness deeply scars, that wound is often used by God in grace to point its victims to the ultimate Father, God Himself. For further prayerful thought, number one, you might begin with yourself. How has your relationship with your Father shaped your life? How does it shape your relationship with God the Father? Number two, if you are a father or grandfather, look back to the list of what a child needs from one in that role. If you're not a father, consider whether there are boys in your circle who have no meaningful relationship with their dad. Then look back to the list. Prayerfully consider how God might lead you to meet some fatherhood needs. Next week, our Father's Day episode addresses the question, does the biblical teaching on fatherhood promote patriarchy? as alleged by some. For further information about our ministry, go to forgingbonds.org. And if this podcast has been helpful to you, tell your friends about this tool that helps them stay focused on Christ's mission for them while they commute and work out.